When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There was a lot of things just happening at once. And I just kind of like most people, I just put one foot in front of the other. And I was just kind of like, you know, I need to keep my eye on the prize. Things will get better. Um, one day, my little one won't be nursing anymore. One day, my older one will be back in school. COVID will be over, you know, like, and I just realized like there's only so much that your body can take and your body goes into fight or flight. And when your body is in fight or flight, it impacts your immune system. And um, if your immune system's not working properly, not only can you get sick with things like the flu or the cold, but your body is more susceptible to cancer, which I really didn't think about. It just like, it did not occur to me that your immune system also takes care of really big things like that. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 178. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Happy Sunday, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you are having a very plantastic day and end to your week. This episode with vegan chef Lauren Kretzer was actually recorded back in April of 2021. But we decided to hold off on publishing it because Lauren wanted to inform her audience herself and she wanted to take her time to do that when it felt right. Now that she has done that, we decided to release the episode. So a few months have passed and I do want to encourage you to visit her Instagram profile. It's Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N underscore Kretzer. K-R-E-T-Z-E-R, so that you can read in her own words what she has experienced and what she's gone through and the sentiments that she wants to express about her diagnosis and her journey. Either way, thank you, Lauren, for sharing your story here on Veggie Doctor Radio. This is a very emotional topic 
and something that took a lot of courage for her to do. So if you follow Lauren or you are going to start following Lauren, send her some positive vibes, send her some love and thank her for sharing her story because I think that the more we talk about these things, the more we can all normalize the fact that we're human and we're vulnerable and we get sick and things happen to us and we are in this one fragile life together and thank goodness we can support one another through it. So thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for your support week after week, not just to me, but to my fabulous guests who I love so much. Every guest I have on Veggie Doctor Radio, I fall in love with them during the time that I interview them and get to know them. And without further ado, here is the episode with vegan chef Lauren Kretzer. Lauren Kretzer is a professionally trained vegan chef and recipe developer. She is a graduate of the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City and holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell. Lauren has worked throughout the tri-state area in Michelin-starred kitchens, privately in the kitchens of families and celebrities, and currently as a recipe developer for international wellness brands, restaurants, New York Times bestselling authors, and popular media outlets such as Vogue, Well Plus Good, and Veg News. She is an advocate for eating seasonal locally and believes that food can be our greatest healer. Lauren currently lives in northern New Jersey with her husband, two young daughters, and rescue dog. When she's not cooking, she enjoys being out in nature with her family and reading. She can be found on Instagram at Lauren underscore Kretzer. Kretzer is spelled K-R-E-T-Z-E-R and online at www.laurenkretzer.com. Chef Lauren Kretzer, welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you. So excited to be back. Thank you for having me. So when you were first on the podcast, I kind of knew that you had been through something because I had been going through your social media and you had a few posts there, but I didn't feel comfortable asking you about it at the time. But then you posted on Instagram a few months ago about what you've been through and I said hey if you ever want to come talk about it on the show come on back and we'll we'll get into this so this is a little bit of a different episode I don't think I've ever quite done one like this but I think that it's going to be very impactful and very helpful for a lot of people so let's just start from the beginning tell me what happened what was your health condition that has brought you to this place Sure. So as you mentioned, I've kind of alluded to different things on my social media. Um, I've been open about the fact that I had surgery, and I'll get into the details of that in a minute. But I've kind of remained quiet about sort of the aftermath, which has been significant. And the reason that I haven't really chatted about it, because it's still ongoing. Um, but I feel it's important for me to talk about it. Um, because I know that there are other people out there going through similar things. Um, so my hope in talking to you is just to kind of shed some light on struggling with a, with a health issues. So mm -hmm. to kind of take it back to the beginning, um, about a year and a half ago, I had uh, what I thought were really bad cold symptoms. I just wasn't feeling well. I had a high fever. In fact, in retrospect, it sounds a lot like COVID symptoms, but it wasn't. It was um, a few months prior to the first cases in the States. Um, just high fever, fatigue, um, coughing, and 
I just, you know, I just thought it was a result of me being a taxed out mom. You know, at the time I had a four-year-old and a baby. Um, I had a, my baby was only nine months old at the time Mm -hmm. and I just wasn't sleeping much, um, which is totally normal. And so I thought that my immune system was just struggling as a result. Um, But after it kind of dragged on a few weeks, um, my husband, my parents, they were just like, you have to go get this checked out. You know, this is taking way too long for you to recover. You look terrible. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, fine. And I just really didn't want to go. But, you know, I dragged myself to an urgent care on a Saturday, just thinking I'll get a prescription. Hopefully I can nip this thing in the bud and it'll be done. And uh, in talking to the physician there, she um, just asked me about my symptoms. And she said, you know, I'm pretty certain you have pneumonia. She said, but I'd like to take a chest X-ray because um, I'd like to properly diagnose the type of pneumonia before we can send you on your way. And I've always kind of been hesitant to receive any extra radiation that I really need. So I try to avoid X-rays unless they're really necessary. And I said to her, I really would rather not have the X-ray. If you can just prescribe me the meds, that would be great. And she said, well, you know, the type of medication I would give you might be determined by what I see on the X-ray. So I was like, fine. And I went into the x-ray room and put my arms up over my head. And I just had this like very bizarre feeling I've never experienced before that something was wrong. Um, And they took the x-rays The um, and someone came in and she said, do you have a breast implant? And I said, no. And I was just very confused. Um, Like, why are we talking about that? And she's like, okay, we'll be right back. And So I sat there waiting just with this like impending dread. And then the doctor came back in and she says, listen, I really don't want you to worry, but you know, we see a very large mass in your chest. And I'm kind of like, not worry. (laughs) Who doesn't worry when they hear that? And I kind of just felt I lost my breath, literally. And she said, you know, we just want you to go to the hospital. And I said, okay. And she said, we want to want you to go to the hospital right now. And um, I was like, okay. And so she said, we're going to call a paramedic team. And you're going to get a CAT scan. We're going to get it figured out. And, you know, you're going to be fine. And so I was like, oh, all right. And so I was just sitting there and the paramedics came in and um, gave me some oxygen. I was freaking out. And uh, I went to the hospital and had a CAT scan. It was just like a total blur. Oh, and I did have pneumonia, by the way. Um, But I had the CAT scan and they confirmed the presence of the mass. It was about 13 centimeters, which is quite big. It's about the size of a grapefruit. And um, while waiting for, you know, the radiologist to give their opinion, I just kind of sat in bed with my husband um, at the hospital waiting, and they had already admitted me overnight. And um, somewhere in the middle of the night, a nurse came in, and she kind of reassured me. She said, you know, it looks okay. It doesn't look like it has the hallmarks of cancer, but, you know, we're going to see what happens. And so I said, okay. So I went to bed. The next day, I was discharged. The doctor reaffirmed what she said. He said, you know, it looks kind of cystic in nature. Um, but you know, we'd like you to have a follow-up with a cardiologist because it's right next to your heart. It's in your, basically in your pericardium. So, um, I was discharged. I recovered from my pneumonia. A few weeks later, I saw a cardiologist. She did an echo on me, um, and basically confirmed it was very big and she was very concerned. She said, you know, again, I don't think it's cancer, but I, you, you probably have to get it out. It's just very, very large. So I made an appointment with a thoracic surgeon um, he was amazing. He kind of looked over all of my films and, you know, was feeling pretty confident. And he said, but, you know, we want to, we can't biopsy it because, um, there's just too high of a risk for infection. He said, but, you know, it does have to come out. And so, um, at that point I had had so many diagnostic tests and everything was looking positive. Um, 
the surgery itself was very invasive. I had surgery last year, 2020. Um, it was March 10th and it was a thoracotomy. Um, usually uh, they try to do it a minimally invasive procedure called VATS. I was not a candidate for that, so they had to do a completely open thoracotomy, which is basically cu cutting into my chest wall. Um, and they, uh, the surgeon removed my cyst that way. And um, after I was released, uh, or not released, when, when I was, woke up from surgery, he said everything went really well. They got everything out. Um, he took out my thymus for some reason. He, um, he just said, you know, it was there and you don't really need it so much as an adult. So I just took it out just in case there's something fishy going on here. And I said, okay. And, um, I expected to recover in the hospital anywhere from four days to seven days. That's what I was told to expect. Cause like I said, it's a pretty invasive, painful procedure to recover from. Um, the next morning the doctor comes in, kind of takes all my vitals, um, says, okay, I think it's time for your chest tube to come out. And an hour after my chest tube is out, he's like, we're going to send you home. I was like, Say what? And he was like, well, yeah, we're going to, we're going to send you home. And they were very vague about everything. And, um, I said, well, I don't understand. I was in the hospital longer when I had a baby and this is, you know, a much more intense, uh, procedure. And, and he just said, listen, like, you know, with everything with COVID, it's just, you know, it's better that you be at home. So at that time, like I said, it was March 11th that day, and I was sent home. I had no idea what was coming, and then basically the world shut down, you know, pretty much as I was getting home and recovering. Um, so it was kind of good timing for me. <laughs> I know it's like been a horrible pandemic, but it was nice to just be able to rest um, and recover at home. And I just tried my best to use my diet as a healing modality to to get better from surgery, to decrease my inflammation, and. Um, within a few weeks, I was feeling a little better, and they had me come in for my post-op. And when I went in for my post-op, they removed my my stitches, and I was having a chat with my with my doctor, and he said, "Listen, your um your uh, biopsy hasn't come back." And I said, "Oh," and he said, "Yeah, it's partially because of COVID. Um, you know, everything is delayed. Everything was shut down at that time." He said, "But they're just sending it to Sloan Kettering just to make sure it's not cancer." And I was like, I was so confused. I was like. Well, I thought we kind of talked about this. I thought we knew it was not cancer. Um, and he said, listen, we just need to make sure. And, you know, it's a good thing that we're making sure. And I said, okay. And I, like, felt totally fine. Um, felt, you know, pretty good considering I was only a couple weeks out and went home. And then I honestly kind of forgot about it. I mean, I was a little stressed, but... I just kept going back to all the reassurances that I had been given by many doctors, not just one. And a few weeks later, I was, my daughter was napping. My older daughter was with my grandmother who had been basically um, in our quarantine pod since day one, since she was helping me recover. And I got a phone call from my surgeon and he just said, listen, we got your biopsy results back. He said, your cyst is a very simple thymic cyst. He said, it's not cancer. And he said, but um, you have lymphoma on your thymus, which hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't even know what my thymus was <laughs> prior to that day. And I didn't have any indication to believe that there was a worry outside of this cyst. And um, he only gave me a very high level overview of what the cancer was and what to expect. He was um, very reassuring. You know, he said this cancer has a high cure rate. Um, but I'm going to need you to, I'm going to need to refer you to an oncologist and just, you know, at the time I was 39 years old, feeling very healthy. The cyst in and of itself was a complete shock to me. So then to be given a cancer diagnosis and to be referred to an oncologist was just completely surreal.
completely surreal. So I just kind of put one foot in front of the other. I made a virtual appointment since, you know, like I said, everything was shut down with this oncologist. And um, he just kind of walked me through my diagnosis. And again, it was a, it's a curable cancer, but it's highly aggressive and it's very rare. Um, only 2% of non-Hodgkin's lymphomas are the type that I have. And uh, he basically told me, you know, depends on how risk averse you are. If you want, we can try to monitor you and see how you do. Um, he said, or you can go into chemo. And he described the, the chemotherapies that he recommended to me. Um, it was pretty intense sounding. One required um, a week long inpatient and then going back pre pretty much every other week for six cycles. And um, this type of chemotherapy um, could put me into early menopause. It could cause secondary cancers. The cancers that it could cause were pretty frightening, um, a lot more deadly than my initial diagnosis. And uh, not to mention just the emotional toll that it would take on me and my family. So I was very frightened. And I just, I wanted to make sure that this was really, you know, the, the best course of action. Um, I wanted to really make a very informed decision. So I made an appointment to get a second opinion at a leading cancer hospital. These guys are, you know, known to be the best of the best, specifically with lymphoma. They are leaders in the, in the area. And um, I had a PET scan done with them and more testing and had a conversation with one of the best oncologists that treats my type of lymphoma on their team and got a pretty devastating um got a pretty devastating set of instructions. She basically said, I don't think you can watch and wait. She said, I think you have to have chemo. And I just, I didn't expect that. Um, I kind of expected her to give me the same choice as the first doctor. And it was even more upsetting that she was from this leading institution. Um, and I pushed back. I said, I'm, I just, I feel like that's not, that's not really you know, where I see this going. And she said, well, you know, it's very aggressive and we have to, we have to make sure it's all gone. This is your best chance of survival. And so I asked her if uh, there was, you know, anyone else to consult with. And she said she would bring my case to the tumor board. Um, a group of oncologists meets every week and they discuss specific cases and make recommendations based on that. And um, unfortunately, most of the tumor board agreed with her that, you know, best course of action was to begin treatment. And uh, I had many a sleepless night thinking about this, thinking about what to do. And I called the first oncologist back and I said, if you're comfortable with it, I'd really like to do your surveillance, um, your surveillance approach. And I said, I will do whatever I need to do. You know, I'll come in as frequently as you need me to do. I'll submit to as many tests as you need me to do. Um, but I, I, I really feel most comfortable with, with that. And um, he kind of took me under his wing and has been an incredible doctor. Um, and we kind of made an agreement at the beginning of this that if the slightest sign of cancer were to pop up, I would go right into treatment. And that was something that I've been you know, living with since last April. I uh, got my diagnosis on April 8th of 2020. And since then, I've been um, keeping a very close watch on this. And um, I'll hopefully be in formal remission very soon. Um, but until then, I am, um, you know, keeping watch and ready to make to make the next best step. Wow. Wow, Lauren, what a story. So let me try to just clarify, because a lot of things happened at once. So you really did have a pneumonia, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the cyst that was causing your symptoms. You just happened no. to have a pneumonia at the same time. So it was almost like 
thank goodness, right? Because otherwise right. it could have been for a long time. Did, do you feel like you had any symptoms from that gigantic cyst you had in your chest? Shortness no, of breath, in, anything? Nothing. And in fact, the, the surgeon feels it was likely there most of my life, if not my whole life. That was the first chest, chest x-ray mm -hmm. I've ever gotten. Yeah. Um, I've labored with two children. I've run a half marathon. Um, I am a fairly active person and mm -hmm. I never knew it was there. Yeah. So if it was there the whole time, maybe you just adapted like your lung function because it was in your lung tissue, right? Right next to your heart. It or wasn't was it embedded outside of your lung. It wasn't embedded in my lung. No, it was um, abutted to my per pericardium. So more close to my heart. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like on the outside. So just kind of pushing up against everything. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that you could just have that. It's huge. I mean, grapefruit's really big. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, so then they take this thing out that goes well, but the surgeon just has this whim. I'm going to take the thymus out and they find the lymphoma on the thymus. It's not the cyst. The cyst really isn't cancer. Correct? The cyst really wasn't cancer. Yeah. So again, another freak thing. And that's why this whole ordeal has just been like, I felt like I've been sucker punched multiple times, but yeah. you know, my surgeon is brilliant. He, uh, he just had the, the foresight to know that, you know, if the, if the cyst was cancer, let's remove anything around it. That's not necessary. So I think that's mm -hmm. probably what his logic was. I had, I'd have to guess. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. What a shocking story. It's like, whoa, like one thing leads to another leads to another and they're all unrelated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. How does that happen? You know? Okay. So, and then you get sent home from the hospital, like immediately after surgery, pretty much with this pretty much. super painful surgery. How was recovery at home? How did you manage with the pain? Was it do you feel like it was better being at home or do you think it would have been better for you having to stay in the hospital during that time? Um, I mean, I would have liked to have stayed in the hospital a few more days, as funny as it sounds, because, you know, I'm a mom of two. And even though I had an amazing support system around me, my husband, you know, he knew the surgery was coming. He knew that I was going to be in a lot of pain when I got home. My parents thankfully live nearby and they were always planning on you know, moving in short term with us to help out. So I had everything I needed. But it's really difficult for anyone, but especially I guess my personality type to just sit there and kind of not take care of things. You know, mm -hmm. I really wanted to to get up and, and help and, you know, feed my kids. And, you know, my daughter, they're so little, they didn't understand I was in a lot of pain. And I tried not to make a big deal out of it. But she would say, Oh, mommy, I want a snack or mommy, I want this. And it was hard for me to just kind of sit there. So um, I would say the first week was the hardest. Um, and then it probably took me close to six weeks to feel normal again. Um, anytime I sneezed or coughed, it felt like my body was ripping open and, uh, mm. it was very difficult to sleep. It was very difficult to find a position that was comfortable. So I actually slept pretty much sitting up for a mm. few days and, um, I was given this very powerful prescription meds, like basically opioids to recover with. And I was, a little hesitant about taking them. So I actually got by without them. Um, never, never took one. I was on all of the drugs at the hospital, but you know, when I got home, um, I pretty much managed just by resting as much as possible and taking over the counter pain meds and trying to keep my diet as clean as possible. Whoa, you're a warrior. That's amazing. <laughs> I can't even imagine. 
So do you feel, as far as how your body feels physically after that surgery, do you feel like you're back to normal or do you still have any lingering effects of it? Um, now I feel back to normal. It's been a full year, but for a long time I had tingling, I had numbness, um, you know, just very, you know, strange sensations. Um, I think my biggest issue now is I just have like PTSD from it. So sometimes mm -hmm. I'll feel like I have chest pressure, but then I know it's probably anxiety because it'll go away, like that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but no, I feel physically 100% recovered, which is, you know, amazing. I feel very grateful. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. Dr. Yami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit. And it's something that I wanted to ask you your perspective as a vegan. So you've been a long term vegan, having gone through this experience, especially how many different things happened. How do you feel like your experience of having these conditions? was different as a vegan compared to somebody who isn't vegan. And the reason I ask you that is because one thing that I've noticed in the vegan community is that there is this sense that if you're vegan, you'll, you'll never get sick. And if you do get sick, it means you've done something wrong. And there's sometimes shaming or people feel ashamed or they keep thinking, well, I, I wasn't perfect enough, these kinds of things. So, Tell me kind of what's gone through your mind or if it's even crossed your mind at all, how you experience this as a vegan person. Yeah, I think that definitely added another layer to everything. Um, I think as a patient in general, you wonder what you did. I think most mm -hmm. people probably have that conversation with their doctor. Um, and if they didn't, um, maybe they think about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I was definitely curious if there was something about my lifestyle that could have potentially caused this or aggravated it. Um, I did feel almost a defensiveness um, about it. I feel in my bones and I have felt all along that my diet was not the cause. Mm -hmm. There are countless people who get horrible diagnoses, just, you know, much worse than mine who, you know, eat meat and who have an omnivorous diet. So, you know, it's not only vegans getting bad, mm -hmm. you know, diagnoses. So I knew that that really wasn't the cause. I also am very intentional about my diet. I try very hard to eat a large variety of fruits and vegetables and all the other things that are great for you and really lay off the processed foods. So I wasn't an unhealthy vegan. Um, I definitely felt a bit of shame, though, just because I know that there's just that judgment. You know, I don't I think our culture is getting there, but I think there's just still this bias that, you know, it's not the healthiest way to be. It's too restrictive, um, you know, kind of that I brought this on myself, which would have been really painful, um, you know, to have anyone think that because, uh, of course, I would never eat in a way that that would hurt me. Um, all I can say is that up until that point, I've been extremely healthy. I've, you know, had regular doctor visits. 
regular blood work. I've had two very healthy pregnancies with zero complications, um, submitted to lots of blood work during those pregnancies, and I've never had a deficiency. I've never had a problem. So all I can say is that, you know, veganism is a safeguard in the sense where it can decrease your likelihood of getting certain things, but it's not a promise. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, became clear to me. Um, and it was very frightening and eye-opening to kind of realize you could be doing everything right. You could be eating all the kale and none of the fried food and still, still have something happen. Um, and, uh, I think we have to remember statistics are just that they're just statistics and they're just, um, you know, a general guess of your likelihood of developing something. It's not a guarantee. And so I think, you know, what I've kind of taken from all this as a vegan is that you just, you know, you have to, you have to be comfortable with the idea that, you know, something could happen to you, even if you're eating a certain way mm -hmm. um, in all likelihood, it won't, <laughs> but it's possible. Yes. No, I think, I think that's such an important point and kind of what I was trying to gather if that's how you were feeling because I think statistics can be very powerful in helping people understand the power of something, right? Like I talk about how our diet and lifestyle habits can decrease chronic disease by 80 to 90%. That's awesome, but there's still gonna be a 10 to 20% that maybe can't be affected by diet and lifestyle. There's true genetic conditions. There's babies born with cancer. You know, there's things like that. Like, you know, at the end of the day, we're human. We're just human. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think sometimes people get the impression that if you eat this way, it makes you superhuman. Like it makes you um, immortal almost, you know? Yeah. And so what happens is that I think people, either they get disappointed when somebody gets sick who's vegan or they get suspicious that that person right. wasn't doing something right. Like maybe they weren't right. fully vegan or they were sneaking something or they were having right. oil or something, you know, like something mm -hmm. like that. So um, I think it is important to approach others with love and compassion and also to just watch out for healthism, which is something that I've been more passionate about recently, which is judging others based upon their health status. Hey humans. I know you wanna eat healthier, but feel strapped for time. And even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low-added sugar and sodium smart options. You get to choose from 80 plus flavor packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Try 15 plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. 
They also provide the recipe cards, and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow and everything you need is included, so even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home-cooked meal. It's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello, spring! And time is limited, especially if you want fresh, home-cooked, healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use the code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by-women and for-women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutri-Greens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutri-Greens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutri-Greens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, zinc, and selenium. The Daily Greens are certified organic, and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The Daily Nutri-Greens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the Apple Banana Daily Nutri-Greens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste. And I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink, integrated into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have time or access to fresh green veggies. If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutri-Greens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutri-Greens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So 
Did you feel that because of that, I know that this is a super private health condition and everybody's different as far as their personality, but has there been a part of you that's been afraid about talking about it because of it? Yeah. I mean, part of my hesitancy to talk about this was because of what I said, that this is still ongoing for me. I have not received the all clear from my doctor. Um, things are going well, knock on wood for now, but there's still a chance that something could come back, um, in the next, you know, few months or so. So, you know, we'll see. But other than that, uh, yeah, I, I've been nervous because like you said, I just, first of all, I don't want people to not try veganism because I had a blip in my health. Um, granted it's a big blip, but you know, I don't, I genuinely don't feel that my veganism was the cause. In fact, I lean even more heavily into it since mm -hmm. recovery. Um, so I've gone even more on that side, which I think, you know, we can get into in a minute has helped me. Um, so I don't want people to be scared off by it. And I also don't want people to think that this is something I brought on myself. You know, I just, I'm, it's just such an emotional, vulnerable time that yes. I just can't take, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to take it if people were, um, you know, saying things like that to me. So I was holding back, but then I ultimately decided, you know, this is a story that could help people, you know, not carry that shame. It's a heavy burden to carry, to feel ashamed of yourself when you're sick. You know, how awful yes. can you imagine? You know, so um, I think people need to release themselves of, of, you know, any potential guilt or blame, understand, like you said, that, um, in many cases, diet doesn't have everything to do with it. We have the environment at play. A lot of that we cannot control. We can try to keep our homes as non-toxic as possible. And I certainly did that. You know, I was making homemade cleaning sprays for years, um, and staying away from commercial cleaning products. And this still happened. And then there's also genetics. And there's also the mind body, you know, I think stress is a major, major component, which I know mm -hmm. we're going to get into at some point. Um, so I tried to remember that I tried to remember, like, my diet is not the only thing that could cause cause this. So I have to release myself from some of that shame and from of that um, guilt, I guess. Yes, yes. Oh, so beautiful. And yes, thank you for your vulnerability. And for talking about this. I think it really is truly important to hear these stories so that we can have that compassion for each other, especially us in the vegan community, because it is small, you know, there's not that many of us. And so supporting each other, uh, I think is very important. But let's get into that next part, which I'm super curious about. Just like you said, nutrition is just one aspect of how we live. Probably something that me and you, we love talking about the most. It's so fun mm -hmm. and it's fun to eat, of course. But there's other things that go into our health and well-being. So I'm curious about how this diagnosis has affected your habits and behaviors. What have you learned about yourself in the process? And have you picked up any different habits that you didn't have before that you feel have been important to your recovery and managing your condition? Yeah, so... I think in the course of reading about cancer, um, not only my particular type, but just cancer in general, one of the things that I've kind of discovered is that a lot of cancer patients report different things that, you know, hurt them and conversely different things that help them beyond their diet. And one thing that just came up time and time again, I'm talking like potentially even more than diet was stress. Mm. And that's something for me that has been left completely unchecked. Um, 
I have been very much on top of my diet for a long time um, to the point where I kind of felt, you know, like we were saying, like I didn't need to worry about anything else. So I was like, well, I'm just eating tons of broccoli and lentils. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, what else is going on? And I think, you know, I've always kind of been someone who takes on a lot. Um, I have, you know, definitely struggled with anxiety and depression. And then in the last few years, things just kind of snowballed. I had, um, you know, I had a baby and there's just natural stresses that come with that. Of course, it's a wonderful thing and a wonderful time of life and exciting. But, you know, at the end of the day, having going from one to two children is hard. And, um, you know, I had the typical mom guilt about that and that I would like torture myself for not spending enough time with my first while I was breastfeeding my second. And then when breastfeeding didn't go perfectly, I was stressing about that and then not sleeping well. And then, you know, changes in, you know, all of my relationships, like just kind of dealing with two kids instead of one, just ate up a lot of time managing my career in the midst of all this. Um, and I've also just had several relationships in the last few years, like friendships kind of fall apart. So there was a lot of things just mm -hmm. happening at once. And I just kind of like most people, I just put one foot in front of the other. And I was just kind of like, you know, I need to keep my eye on the prize. Things will get better. Um, one day, my little one won't be nursing anymore. One day, my older one will be back in school. COVID will be over, you know, like, and I just realized like there's only so much that your body can take and your body goes into fight or flight. And when your body is in fight or flight, it impacts your immune system. And um, if your immune system's not working properly, not only can you get sick with things like the flu or the cold, but your body is more susceptible to cancer, which I really didn't think about. It just like, it did not occur to me that your immune system also takes care of really big things like that. And I would say in the period of time between my pneumonia diagnosis and my surgery was the most intense stress I've ever been under in my life. It was literally nonstop from the minute I opened my eyes to the minute I fell asleep at night. It's all I thought about. And, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm nervous about the pain. It was like, am I going to live to see my kids get older? Um, that was the kind of stress I was under. And, um, you know, all of that, I wouldn't be surprised if that helped the cancer form um, in those, you know, or move it along in those last few months. And so I think I came out of it just realizing, like, I have to take care of myself in a bigger way. This can't just be about making a smoothie. It has to be deeper than that. And it's a journey. You know, it's hard. It's hard when you have young children to make that time for yourself. But I've been forced. And I think sometimes people wait until they get a devastating diagnosis to take care of themselves. And it's really sad, you know, to see that happen to other people and then to have it happen to me. Um, it took that diagnosis for me to carve out, like, the 15 minutes a day, which is a tiny amount of time to meditate or to say, you know, it's really important that I get to bed tonight at nine o'clock or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and I did, you know, things like that. So meditation, trying to get more rest, breath work, getting outside has been majorly healing for me. Um, it feels like medicine. I am lucky to live near the woods. So I go on hikes and it just clears my mind and it helps me recenter. And um, the stress doesn't go away, but it helps you manage it. And um, I think that's been huge in my healing and in my recovery. Wow, that's amazing. And no, I agree with you on the kid thing. I felt like going from one to two kids was like going from one to 50. It's amazing yeah. how like nobody talks about it. But <laughs> I help reassure my, my parents and my practice that, yeah, it's going to feel really hard at the beginning, especially the first few months when you're used to just having one kid and then now you're imagining, managing two, especially if you have one that's a toddler. They need a lot of attention still. And now for a very important message. 
Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Before your diagnosis and before all of this happened, did you do any of these techniques? Did you already know how to meditate and do breath work and now you're being more mindful about integrating or did you have to learn some of these for the first time? Um, I think, well, with me, I, I come from a family that's a little progressive in that regard. My parents have been sort of in the vegetarian meditation space for almost my whole life. And my father is pretty uh, serious meditator. He he meditates every day. Um, he credits meditation to helping him get through some of the hardest moments of his life. Um, so it's kind of always been mentioned to me, not kind of, it's always been mentioned to me, like, especially when I'm in a very intense period of life, you know, my, my parents, my sisters would say, you really should try meditating. And it's not that I didn't try. I mean, I actually went on a meditation retreat once or twice. And, you know, I've downloaded the apps but I think I just had this very perfectionistic view about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need to sit down and be perfectly quiet. And I need to feel like enlightened and like not have monkey mind or, you know, all that. And I was just putting so much pressure on myself for it to look a certain way and to mm-hmm. just get the benefit like that. Like, I just was like, oh, I'm not Zen. So it's not working. Yeah. And um, I think I just, you know, I had nothing else to lose after this diagnosis, only something to gain. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I have to make it work for me. Kind of like, it would be as if you want to get into an exercise routine and you don't do it because you can't run 10 miles. Like that's what this was like for me with meditating. Mm -hmm. So I just decided I'm going to do a guided meditation, even though that's not in my ideal, it's what, you know, helped me get started. And I'm going to just, you know, try five, 10 minutes and go from there. And that's really what helped me get into the habit. And now, you know, I can do a little longer. I can do 15, 20 minutes. It's not easy for me, but I, make it work. And I've been doing fewer guided meditations, but I also love them, um, you know, on days where I just need some help Mm -hmm. getting in a quiet place. I think, um, you know, whatever way you can 
getting it in and not holding yourself to some impossible standard. Yes. Oh, I love that. No, and I love how, you know, part of you was like, if it doesn't automatically work, then, you know, I must not be, I'm not, must not be doing this right or something's off. So I'm not going to keep doing this. But I think just like any habit, that consistency is the key. It's something that over time helps you. Just like you may have one smoothie if you've been eating a certain way and you may not all of a sudden feel perfect, you know? So I think I think that's very important to, to discuss for people that are going to start some new habits and behaviors is that it can take time, not just getting comfortable with it and developing the habit, but it can take time to feel and see the effects of it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about being in nature. Do you think that that's something that's always called to you and now you're making more time for it? Or did you discover that as part of this process? Um, nature has always been very healing for me. I'm very much introverted. I like to be in my own head and I feel that nature is the place where I feel most quiet and I feel like most of myself and I feel like there's no judgment, just the natural world. And I feel very much um, at home in that space. And um, I think that in and of itself, you know, you could feel your breath slow down, you start noticing things, I'm a lot more mindful in nature. Um, you know, I can hear the birds chirping and the sound of the leaves under my feet. And, you know, just it's a stark contrast to the rest of the day, which, like I said, it's joyful noise, I, you know, love the sounds of my children, I don't want people to misunderstand, but it, it's chaotic at times. And um, for someone who craves quiet, um, there's no place like being out outside and out in the woods and just getting that fresh air and the full sensory experience of that. Yes. And what's interesting about nature is that it feels very, it, you know, it's very natural, right? Nature, natural. But mm -hmm. there's been several scientific reasons that have been studied for why it actually does help us. One of them is the gut microbiome, um, you know, even in children that have ADHD, it helps them feel more calm, have more controlled behaviors. People talk about grounding and the energy and all of those things. So it is something that I feel comes up again and again as something that other people can try whenever they feel like they need to get that sense of connection and that groundedness is spending some time in nature. And it doesn't have to be like, you don't, you don't have to live close to the woods like Lauren does. Just wherever little patch of nature you can find close to you, just try it out, even just a few minutes and see what it does for you. Oh, yeah. I think even just like sitting out on a patio or, mm -hmm. you know, if you live in a city, just finding a quiet bench, you know, if your city has a park and just breathing in that air and just being still and just listening to whatever yes. sounds you can hear around you. I love it. And now that it's spring here, I live in a high desert and we have real winters. <laughs> and now that it's spring, a lot of the birds are coming back and just sitting outside and listening to the birds is so relaxing and you just feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. Speaking yeah. of, I wanna shift gears again and talk about some more philosophical things. I feel like for me, COVID, like just the whole event of the pandemic and you know how intense it got for a lot of people, brought on this sense of mortality, you know? So you had, you were like in COVID plus, you had these diagnoses and all of these things going on. So I'd love to know how this has affected your view of life, 
purpose, your time on earth, mortality, these big picture questions that we go through in life? Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely been a reckoning for me. I feel, you know, completely transformed by, by, by my diagnosis and by my journey in that regard. I think <clears throat> I've always felt gratitude um, for my life, but never to the extent that I do now. I think before I was grateful that, you know, I had a family and I was grateful that, you know, I had people around me that loved me and that I loved, um, that I was able to, you know, do what I love for a living, like that kind of thing, kind of, kind of like big picture. Mm -hmm. But the gratitude that I feel now just for waking up and feeling good and not having, you know, that fear inside of me every day, um, of what's going to happen to me. Um, I think it's just, and I, you know, I feel grateful that I get to raise my children. You know, I think a lot of people forget that that's a gift. That's a gift to be able to, you know, guide your kids or not if you don't have children, just to be alive, to be a part of your loved ones' lives um, to see those big accomplishments and be there on the hard times for them. And, um, you know, it's just, it's amazing. And I think, um, that's one thing that's come into very sharp focus for me, um, I think another benefit has just been I've sort of released other people's expectations of me. I just know I'm doing the best I can. I am, you know, staying true to myself. And my first priority is to myself and to my family. And beyond that, you know, I just do the best I can. If people like me, great. If they don't like me, that's on them and not on me. And um, it's freeing to feel that way because mm -hmm. I felt quite the opposite for a long time. Felt like I needed to, you know, please other people and, you know, kind of shape myself so that I was more liked. And, you know, I definitely don't feel that way anymore, thankfully. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, just having that shift in gratitude has been huge. And, um, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't had to deal with some of the, um, some of the things that other cancer patients have to deal with, you know, I haven't lost my hair, and I've haven't had to go through the rigors of chemo. But, you know, I certainly feel like my peace of mind um, for my for my health has been taken from me. And so I've been trying to, you know, instead focus on, like I said, just every day, like feeling good and appreciating that. Mm -hmm. um, and just finding joy in that. Yeah, I think what you said about that people pleasing going away and having more freedom seems like it's something that a lot of us develop over time as we get older. And that's why some people say that age in some ways is a good thing because as you get older, you realize that we're not here to please others or to meet other people's expectations. We're here to live our own lives. So in some ways, being able to feel that earlier is going to be a huge part of your life, you know, because it is, I mean, if more of us could have that feeling, I think it would be, it would make the world a much better place that we don't have to try to live up to what other people want us to be. We can be ourselves. How about any, have you had any shifts in your spirituality or any religion or anything like that? Um, yes and no. I mean, I was brought up in a traditional Roman Catholic household, um, went to church, you know, most of my life, went to a Jesuit college. Um, I really haven't, pursued religion on my own since then. Um, but I've kind of always maintained that belief in a greater being or a God. Um, 
and I think, you know, when you're desperate for answers and when you're desperate for reassurance and no one can give it to you, truly no one can. There was not a single person in my life, not even my surgeon who could promise me that I was going to come out of this thing unscathed. You know, they can Mm -hmm. offer their best guess and they can try to reassure, but no one can make that promise. And I think when you're in that point where no one can reassure you, you, you're grasping for comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I was looking for it in any place I could. And um, I just realized, you know, I have to let my faith be greater than my fear. I have mm-hmm. to, you know, have my trust in this being the way I'm supposed to go. Um, I'm supposed to experience this to learn certain life lessons, to maybe be a certain type of role model to my children. Um, and I just have to believe that that's why this happened to me. You know, I don't feel victimized. I don't feel like something you know, bad happened to me, like there's millions of people who go through terrible things every day, not just illness, but other tragic things. And so I know that I'm not special. I, um, but I can take something out of this. And so I think, um, you know, having that belief that I'll be taken care of in some way, um, has been incredibly reassuring to me. And in fact, the morning of my surgery, I remember driving to the hospital with my husband and it was the most beautiful sunrise. We left pretty early and I just kind of felt a greater presence at that moment. Mm. I felt like I was going to be all right. I feel like someone was watching me. So mm. That's so beautiful. I love that. So Lauren, what do you want people to know? What do you want people to take from your experience? What advice do you have or tips for others that are facing a serious health condition or even those that aren't necessarily? How can we learn from what you've been through? Um, I think... For health conditions, I think I would just encourage people to have a very thorough understanding of their disease or their condition. Uh, Don't be afraid to read up on it. I don't want anyone to fall into a Google hole because that's not a good place to be. I've been there many, many times. And um, you can diagnose yourself with all kinds of things. Um, But I think just having a grasp on what it is exactly that you're dealing with and not letting it go much beyond that and then making informed decisions. You know, I think people should feel empowered to be their own advocate. Um, For some people, chemotherapy is the best way to go. That is absolutely the right decision. And there's no shame in that. And then for other people, it might make sense to question that and to, you know, maybe decide, is there another route I can try? Um, I think we should have trust in medicine, but not blind trust. I think we should go with our own intuition and go with what feels right for us. Um, So I would say just to, you know, feel empowered by your own knowledge and your own gut feeling um, and go with that. And then I think for, you know, other types of situations, maybe not necessarily health related, but just adversity in general, it's just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, Um, just having faith, it will, it will get better. And I don't even mean that in a religious way, just, you know, just knowing that, you know, this is just bad weather. In fact, I have a a poster or a painting on my wall and it's um, by P. Metro drone, the, uh, the quote, and it says, uh, you are the sky. Everything else is just the weather. And I look at that every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed and I just remember, you know, this is just weather. It's going to, it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. And there are lessons to be learned. And um, you know, that's the most we can ask. That's such great advice. And I love from your experience, how, you did seek out opinions and you got other people's 
thoughts on what you were going through, but then at the end of the day, you came back and decided based upon the information you gathered, what you felt was the right course of action for yourself. And so I think the good news is this day and age, we do live in a time where people feel a little bit more comfortable doing that and not just doing exactly everything they're told from a health professional, but working with health professionals together I think can also be helpful because there's things that nobody can understand everything, you know? So I think having, uh, having the help of other people can be very helpful in this, this life journey, not trying to just do it by yourself all the time, I think is another key point. Yeah. And I found that, you know, when I met with my oncologist, the first oncologist I met with and who is my current doctor, um, I just felt like he in- intrinsically understood me. He understood what I had been through and, you know, he gave me that choice and I appreciated that he gave me that choice. And, um, you know, if he were to call me tomorrow, and like I said before, if he were to call me tomorrow and say, it's time to enter treatment, I trust him and I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel, you know, with the information he gave me and with the information I had, it, it seemed like the best course of action for me at the time to wait. Um, and hopefully that will end up being the right choice. Um, I feel I feel in my heart it was the right decision to make. I have no regrets. Even if I end up in treatment, I have no regrets. So do the best Uh, you can. And that's a great place to be. And it is. It's very, very individual. So I think sometimes we want to take other people's experiences and be like, okay, I want that to be me. But every every person with a health condition, they're a separate individual. And so everybody's walking their own path. They have their different set of circumstances and you have to make that decision for yourself and how you want to proceed. Yeah, for sure. Any final thoughts or closing words? No, I just want to thank you for giving me the space to talk about this. It was, um, you know, it's been an emotional journey and, you know, I, trusted you with with this space to let me tell my story and I'm just very grateful so thank you well it's an absolute honor and I thank you for your your vulnerability because I know it's not easy to talk about these things it's very personal and um, you know you're still in that space where you're feeling vulnerable but like I said I think that this can help a lot of people know that we're not alone and a lot of us go through really tough things whether it's health conditions or otherwise and step by step we can make it through especially when we when we rely on each other so lauren thank you so much for coming back on veggie doctor radio and sharing your story and i hope that you have a very plantastic day thank you you too hey veggie lover i hope that you loved today's episode will you take a second and do me a huge favor please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.